You are listening to the Recovering Faith Podcast, an honest and non-judgmental discussion on faith in God and the doubts we often have, why it's sometimes difficult to trust God, and how we can know with a surety that He loves us. This show centers on strengthening and rebuilding our faith after loss, tragedy, or when coming to Christianity from a non-Christian or pseudo-Christian worldview. Now, here is your host, Gene Curl. Hello, and welcome back to Recovering Faith Podcast. This is episode 108. I hope it's better weather than where you are. It's been raining and cold here in southern Missouri, but we've had some pretty good weather up until now, so I can't complain too much. Uh, For a while, I was doing every other episode that had something to do with the Mormon Church and then but I haven't had an episode on that for quite a while, and this one is somewhat related to that. This one is this one episode is called Looking Beyond the Mark. And looking beyond the mark is a term in Mormonism meant to discourage anyone from looking too deep into the church and finding out things that may cause them to lose faith in the church or its leaders. And though the term is different in other questionable faiths, It's common in all cults to discourage investigation or study of anything that is not approved by the leaders. I've talked to some length about my journeys in Mormonism, and some of what I will say won't be new to any regular listeners of my podcast or readers of my blog, but every episode is someone's first episode, and I have to lay the groundwork so that those who are coming to this as their first episode will be able to follow along and understand the journey. And I will try to make the redundancies interesting enough so that those who know my story can still enjoy it. When I was younger, I was lost and looking for anything that would make me feel loved and accepted. And I think I would have been willing to accept pretty much any ideology, so long as I felt the people who were teaching it to me loved me and accepted me as one of their own. And the largest contributor to that was my childhood. I grew up in an extremely dysfunctional home, and despite the fact that my mother obviously loved me, I was always depressed and never felt truly loved because of my father's obvious disdain for me and because he was constantly telling me that I was worthless and would never amount to anything and would never be loved. My father even went so far as to say that God didn't love me and couldn't love me, and he said that my mother was lying about loving me and only told me that she did so that I would do things for her. Obviously, that's not true. Growing up, I never had any friends because my sisters and I were homeschooled, which kept us pretty isolated, and we moved far too often to make and or keep any friends. The biggest reason for the homeschooling and the motivation for the constant moving was my father's paranoia that he would get caught for some of the nefarious things he did. My father even watched America's Most Wanted every week just to see if he were on it. He never was, of course, because no one knew about any of the vile things he did. Honestly, I'm not sure what all my father did, and I think I'm better off not knowing. What I do know about my father is bad enough, and it took me a long time to forgive him for the way that he treated my sisters, my mother, and me. When my sisters and I were children, father always told us that if we talked to anyone and told them how we lived or anything about him, that, he, that we would get taken away and separated 
and that we would get horribly abused and would probably be put into an orphanage or a foster home where we would be sexually abused and beaten every day. I wasn't sure if my father was telling the truth or if he was just trying to scare us for his own protection. But as horrible as my life sometimes was, I was terrified of the unknown. I'd become complacent and sort of comfortable in an uncomfortable sort of way. And the unknown was truly scary, and what I imagined could happen was undoubtedly worse than anything that would have actually happened. And that was one of the biggest reasons that I never ran away. The other being that I was afraid of what would happen to my mother and my sisters if I were to leave. When Johnny Law finally did catch up with my father for one of his crimes, and he went away, I wanted to distance myself from everything that reminded me of him, including anything and everything religious. I even threw away my Bible because my father would always try to control me and everyone else by twisting what it said and using verses out of context. My father was an ordained minister, though he never had his own church or worked for a church because he was too afraid to stay in one place and he was completely unwilling to ever turn in a social security number. By the time my father went away, I knew that practically everything he ever told me was a lie, and I assumed that all the rest was as well. I felt lost and confused, and I was desperately searching for anything that would give some sort of meaning and purpose to my life, which made me the perfect candidate for Mormonism. At that point in my life, I had a substandard education, and I was not wise to the ways of the world and I desperately wanted and needed to feel loved above all else, and I would have done about anything to reach that end. I didn't have any idea what I was looking for, but I was certain it was not religion. But that didn't prevent me from falling for it all the same. All I knew for sure was that I was lost like a ship at sea with no rudder or sail. I was working at a Burger King in southeast Idaho at the time, and I practiced and practically everybody that I knew and practically everybody in the area was Mormon. And all I knew about the religion was what my father had told me, which I assumed to be lies and therefore wrong. And I had heard and uh, what I had heard on the television propaganda commercials put out by the church itself. After I'd been to the rest working for the restaurant for a short while, I was given the task to train all of the new people when they were hired. And one of the new hires was a young girl close to my age named Lily. Obviously not her name, but that's what we'll call her. From the moment I saw Lily, I was more than smitten, and I hate to admit this, but she dominated my thoughts for years, and I was practically obsessed with her. I laid awake many nights thinking of ways to make her like me, hopefully more than a friend. And in case you're wondering, I did not have any impure thoughts about her, I just desperately wanted her to like me. Even though it was painfully obvious that Lily would never love me the way I loved her, I held out hope that one day we would get married. And there was a time when her father hoped so as well, and told me so. Looking back on it, I'm truly glad that God doesn't always give us what we ask or beg for. Shortly after Lily or after meeting Lily, I mean, I asked her to go someplace with me on a Sunday, and she told me that her religion didn't allow her to do anything recreational on Sunday, which was a completely foreign concept to me, despite my extremely religious upbringing. 
I was intrigued and started asking a lot of questions about the Mormon religion. And I was told that the proper name of the church is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I found out that the boss was also Mormon, and I started asking him questions as well, and I learned all I could about the faith. My interest in Mormonism, at least at first, was equal parts trying to impress Lily and a fascination with her strange religion. Though I eventually cared more about learning about the religion than I did about impressing her or anyone else. When I found out that Mormons didn't drink coffee or tea, I was blown away, especially since every church I had ever gone to served coffee and tea. Lily worked at her family's shaved ice business when she was not working at Burger King, and I would often drop by to talk, much to her annoyance. Though I convinced myself that she enjoyed it as much as I did, though looking back, I'm not sure how I could have ever been so delusional. Lily was sweet and kind about it, but her disinterest in me could not have been clearer had she put up a sign. At any rate, the topic of our discussion became more and more about Mormonism all the time, and not only did I start caring more about learning the doctrine and history of the religion than I did about impressing her, she was much more interested in talking to me when she thought she was converting me to her faith. After a while, like any Mormon worth his or her salt, Lily invited me to go to church with her, and though I hoped it would eventually lead to the two of us dating, I genuinely wanted to go to learn more about what the religion believed. I was also told that the congregation she went to was comprised entirely of young single adults, and I was completely shocked and had never heard such a thing, and I had no idea at the time how hard the religion tries to marry off their young. I later learned that Mormon congregations are called wards, and the ones designed to pair up the young adults are called singles wards. When Sunday rolled around and Lily came to pick me up, I was extremely disappointed that several of her cousins were riding along with her and that I had to ride in the back of the car. On the way to church, Lily's male cousins were doing their best to win me over as a convert and to convince me that I already believed what they believed. And it's one of the things in Mormonism, especially if you had served a mission, but every member of the church is expected to win people over to their faith. But at any rate, since I had been lied to so much of my life while growing up, I had no clear idea what I actually believed. My first Sunday at a Mormon church was strange, to say the least. But my curiosity overpowered the urge to flee that came from the weirdness of it all. It also helped that everyone acted like I was their new best friend. Some of the people even invited me to a whitewater rafting event that the church was having the following Sunday and I decided to go, even if Lily didn't. It wasn't long before Lily's parents had her bring me to their house for dinner and to meet the missionaries, who told me that everything I knew about God was wrong because a 14-year-old Joseph Smith had met God and was told to start the quote-unquote true church. Among other things, I was told that God loved me, that the members loved me, and that I could earn my salvation if I could follow all the rules. Honestly, if I'd been thinking critically at all, all sorts of flags would have gone off. Or red flags, I mean. But I was so happy to hear that people loved me and that I could go to heaven by following what I was told were just a few simple rules 
that I was afraid to hear anything that would make me question it because I so badly wanted to believe it. For the first time in my life, I felt truly loved and accepted. So I bought into Mormonism hook, line, and sinker. I was given the Book of Mormon, which is their foundational text, and I was asked to read a few specific verses and to pray about them. At the time, I didn't think of the fact that having a, a good feeling about something does not make it right or true, nor did I consider that the Bible does not support a good feeling proving something is true. At any rate, I was told that I would be given a spiritual witness at the Book of Mormon and the church were true. But I never received any such witness, not in the ten years I faithfully attended. I wound up getting baptized in the church because I desperately wanted to believe it was true, partially because the people were so nice, but mostly because it gave me purpose and meaning. I probably would not have been convinced so easily to be baptized into Mormonism had I not had an extremely vivid dream in which I went to hell that had a striking similarity to a vision sequence in the Book of Mormon. And somehow, the fact that I had already re read that uh, passage, no, actually come to think of it, I had the dream before I read that passage in the Book of Mormon. But in my dream, I woke up in a large castle-like building that was floating high above the ground. The building didn't have any doors or any kind of furnishing, and all of the large windows were completely open with no glass or any kind of coverings. From where I was, I could see people below happily walking and talking with Jesus in a peaceful meadow, and I was tortured by the fact that I couldn't get down to the glorious scene. When Jesus was directly below me, I yelled out from the window for him to help me, but the devil quickly put his hand over my mouth and told me that I blew my chance to be with Jesus and that I was his for all of eternity. There were a lot more details to the dream that I don't have time to go into, but suffice it to say that the dream shook me, and it was one of the most real-feeling dreams that I've ever had. By the time I was baptized a few short weeks after I first met the missionaries, I'd read the Book of Mormon in its entirety several times, as well as several of the church's other canonized books which I had purchased on my own. I was told that reading the church's scriptures with such passion was somewhat uh, uncommon for lifelong members to do and almost unheard of for converts. Everyone was convinced that I was going to become some high-ranking leader of the church, and I probably would have had I not started thinking critically about the church and asking too many questions. Eventually, I came to the realization that truth can stand up to question and has nothing to fear from inquiry, and I decided to learn all I could and to follow the truth wherever it led. Despite how hard I tried not to let anything bother me about the church, I encountered a lot of things that stirred up questions in my mind, and since I'm naturally an overthinker, I couldn't just let them drop. I thought that I would get sufficient answers to my questions, but I quickly learned that any question that did not have a faith-promoting answer was discouraged, and anything that is not taught in Sunday school is not to be studied. Whenever I would ask questions that had embarrassing answers, or answers that would possibly cause anyone to doubt the church. I was told that looking beyond the mark would cause me to fall away, which comes from a, a verse in the Book of Mormon. 
And that verse is in the book of Jacob, verses 414, and it says, Behold, or sorry, but behold, the Jews were a stiff-necked people, and they despised the words of plainness, and killed the prophets, and sought for things that they could not understand. Wherefore, because of their blindness, which blindness came by looking beyond the mark, they must needs fall. For God hath taken away his plainness from them, and delivered unto them many things which they cannot understand, because they desired it. And because they desired it, God hath done it, and they may, that they may stumble. I can't tell you how many times my questions were shot down by saying that I was looking beyond the mark and that it would cause me to fall away, us to fall away or go astray, which was true, but I didn't know why it was true or that it was true. When I started doing research on my own, despite the fact that it was, at least initially, all from church-approved sources, I quickly learned why they didn't want me or anyone else to study too deeply. And that reason is that the church is not at all what they portray themselves to be. And they know that once a person sees the proverbial man behind the curtain, that they can never unsee him, and they will realize that the church is a cult and leave. On my two-year mission for the church, my mission president yelled at me for asking a question. And once I returned home from my mission, several local stake leaders, including the stake president, told me that if I kept asking the, the type of questions I was asking, that I would be excommunicated. What really annoys me now is that the church officially has answers to almost all of the questions I was told not to ask, and they claim that they never discouraged members from studying in those areas. In that way, the Mormon Church is a lot like Big Brother in the book 1984 by George Orwell. However, not only do I vividly remember being censured for asking those questions, I have years of journals cataloging my life, and I wrote about them, uh, about the events when it happened. So there is no chance that they will ever convince me that it didn't happen. They definitely told me not to ask questions, and they definitely got upset when I did. And now all the things that, that I was told that you couldn't ask about have, a, have official answers. They still, I'm sure, discourage people from looking too deeply into things, but at least this makes them look like they're not trying to hide anything. Sometimes I'm ashamed of myself for falling for all the lies and for being so unwilling to believe the truth when I was being slapped in the face with it. But I was so desperate to be accepted that I willingly bought into it. Some people turn to drugs, alcohol, and promiscuity when they are lost and looking for meaning, but I turn to Mormonism. I don't in any way wish that I had followed any vice, but I can't help but think that the other group had a lot more fun on their journey to find meaning than I did. And many of them wound up exactly where I am now, in the loving arms of Jesus, the true Jesus, not some version made up by Joseph Smith that doesn't have the power to save us without our help but the Jesus of the Bible, the God of the universe, who was always God and will always be God. The Mormon Jesus was not always God, as John 1, 1 tells us, but was created by the Father, who was not always God either, but was created as a man and eventually accomplished enough good works to become a God himself. One of the questions I was threatened for asking was, if the God of Mormonism used to be a man and was therefore created, 
why then didn't they worship the ultimate God instead of some lower God? And why was there more than one God when the Bible and the Book of Mormon clearly tells us that there is only one true God? This doesn't just go for Mormonism, but for any belief structure. If they don't want you to learn about the more obscure doctrines or the more shady history of the faith or organization, then there is a reason. And it's not that they're trying to protect you from anything unless that that thing is the truth. The truth is hidden for their protection, not yours. Jesus said that he did nothing in secret, John 18, 20. So if a religion tells you that they are his church and they keep secrets, whether it be doctrines, how they spend their money, or what goes inside in any of their buildings, even if they claim that it's sacred, they are clearly not affiliated with Jesus. Jesus said, You will know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. John 8.32 And the truth has nothing to fear from questions. If you're not allowed to ask questions or learn about the faith except from improved sources, then they are absolutely, positively hiding something, and you should get out. Don't walk. Run. Thanks for listening to this episode. I hope you'd enjoyed it. Uh, if you haven't already, subscribe to this podcast on YouTube. Uh, not YouTube, but I mean on iTunes or whichever place you're listening. And I would greatly appreciate it if you would go by and leave a review on a five-star or five-star uh, rating and a review. Thanks for listening and God bless. Thanks for listening to the Recovering Faith Podcast. Please rate and review this show and share it with your friends and family. You are loved.